0: Friends, we are indeed in Revelation chapter 5, and it's sweet to be here this morning to worship together. Everyone is looking very dapper and pastel this morning, and it is a beautiful worship scene. I realized to my horror this morning, I don't own a single pink item of clothing, so I'm going to try to fix that by next Easter. But we wander from this very small worship scene into a very, very different worship scene in Revelation chapter 5. I don't know if any of the living creatures or elders owns Pastel, but we get to behold a place where every day is Easter Sunday. So I'm going to read from Revelation chapter 5 and I'm going to read the first 10 verses. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was raised and seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and his seven seals. each holding a harp and a golden bowl full of the incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seal, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language, a people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray you would take us from this little worship scene and sweep us up into this grand worship scene that we will join with the saints across the globe and across the ages to worship you as conqueror and king. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, these are some dramatic scenes in heavenly places. I mean, anytime I wander into the book of Revelation and I see a throne and scroll and seals and eyes and horns and creatures, I realize again, I don't know what I don't know. I am missing so much of the grandeur of who God is and what his dwelling place is like. But even with all this happening in this scene, it really narrows its focus onto Jesus and presents him afresh to us. So you heard the drama that's here. There's a scroll and it's sealed and no one can open the seals and no one can be found to open the seals. And so John, who's writing the book of Revelation, he begins to weep because he sees that there is this conflict here. And an elder comes to John and he says to him in verse 5, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. Jesus is here. And he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now a lion is an animal I can get behind. A lion is a strong animal. And a lion is a predator. You go to the Columbia Zoo and you see this beast that is 400 pounds that hunts at night and in storms so it has the advantage that when it kills something it can eat 80 or 90 pounds of raw meat in a single meal, that's hardcore. I can get behind that. And so when the elder says, stop crying, John, the lion is here, we are in strong hands with the lion of Judah. But Do you see who appears in the very next verse? Verse 6, it is definitely not a lion and may well be the antithesis of a lion. Verse 6 says, a lion is announced, I saw a lamb. Wait a minute, what happened to the lion? And as if to underscore that point, we hear lion in verse 5, and then we see a lamb in verse 6, 8, 12, 13, chapter 6, verse 1, five references to the lamb in a row. Now, we know that Jesus is both. He is the lion and the lamb, but this is an interesting turn within this passage, and we know he is described as both ways, and so I was curious to say, well, how many times is he referred to as a lion in the book of Revelation, and how many times is he referred to a lamb? And let's take a little tally. Do you know how many times Jesus is described as a lion in the book of Revelation? One time. You saw it. You know how many times Jesus is referred to as a lamb in the book of Revelation? 29 times. Do you think the book is trying to tell us something? It gets even more peculiar because we heard about a lion and then we got a lamb times 29, but we don't even get like a pristine, spotless, healthy looking lamb from a nursery book. Instead, there's something immediately noticeable about Jesus as the lamb in heaven. Look again at verse six. I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. So not only does Jesus choose to appear as a lamb instead of a lion, he chooses to wear the scars of his slaying. He is and forever will be the lamb as though slain. Now that's a lot of revelation very early in the morning, so we're going to take a step back from here, and I just want to make two points for Easter. Number one... Jesus keeps his body in heaven, his physical body. And number two, Jesus keeps his scars in heaven. Jesus keeps his body, Jesus keeps his scars. And then we'll tie it together. Why does any of this matter? So, number one, Jesus keeps his body. You'll remember back at Christmas that I preached on the eternal humanity of Jesus. You remember that sermon because you thought it was brilliant. And you took notes, and you sleep with those notes, and I don't need to remind any of our members what that sermon was, but we have guests here, so I'll refresh them on what I said at Christmas. The Bible teaches this about Jesus' incarnation. When he took on human flesh, he never took it off. When the word became flesh, John chapter 1, the word never unbecame flesh. So Jesus was born as a human being, fully God, fully man, lived as a human being, died as a human being, rose again from the dead in a body as a human being, and ascended into heaven as a human being, and now he is seated at God's right hand in a glorified human body. The book of Revelation has a lot of descriptions about Jesus. I mean, there's the lamb, there's the lion, there's a face like a sun, there's a sword, there's tattoos, there's a bunch of stuff. But in some measure, when we see Jesus on that day, we will see him as the disciples saw him on Easter morning, Jesus in a body when we worship him. Now, we don't get a lot of details about Jesus's resurrected body. We don't get a lot of details for his body. We don't get a lot of details for our resurrected body. But we do get a few details that are fascinating. So Jesus's new body is not like his old body, because when he comes back to life, the disciples are gathered in a lock room, and Jesus is able to pass through the walls and appear to them and really scare the heck out of them. I mean, they weren't expecting that. That's crazy. But his new body can do that. He can pass through walls. But then again, his new body is just like his old body because when he passes through walls, he says, give me something to eat. I want to show you I'm not a ghost, that I have a real body. And he eats food and he swallows the food and he digests the food and he does that a bunch in his post-resurrection appearances. So it's kind of like his old body. But then again, Jesus' new body is not like his old body because in this new body, he is immortal He cannot possibly be killed, as Romans 6, 9 reminds us. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. He cannot possibly die. But then again, Jesus' new body was like his old body because after he introduced himself and after everybody calmed down, they still recognized him as Jesus. They thought, gee, this kind of looks like the person we had known for these past three years. He looks like himself. So it's this curious change, but not a change. I heard a couple of my kids talking over breakfast about seeing a friend that we hadn't seen in maybe a couple of months. And kid one says to kid two, man, I have changed so much in this past month or two. I mean, I'm taller, I'm smarter, I've got better hair. Like I've changed, I wonder if she will even recognize me. I look so different. And I think kid two was just like swept up in the magic of the moment. And he said, you know, me too. I wonder if she'll recognize me. I'm different in all those ways too. Kid one gives kid two a withering glance and says, you haven't changed a bit. She'll recognize you. (laughs) Like, there's nothing different about you. That's like Jesus. He's different, but he's the same. He's changed, but we recognize him. There are things that are new about his body, but there are things that sure look like his body as he ministered on earth. And so this transformation has taken place. Of course, that reality is not just true for Jesus. It's also true for us because Christ has defeated death. When we stand in God's presence, we will also have new immortal cancer-free, pain-free, sin-free, tear-free bodies. Philippians 3.21 says that Jesus will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Everybody sitting in here 25 or under is saying, who you calling a lowly body? And everybody 25 and up is like, can I get that body now? Like I need some of that glorious body. Jesus says of the saints that they will be like angels in heaven. Not angels, like angels in heaven, Matthew 22, 30. So point number one, Jesus keeps his body. It's his same but different, glorious, immortal body. He chooses to keep flesh forever in heaven. Point number two, Jesus keeps his scar. Now by scars, we mean what Revelation chapter 5 means. We don't mean every scar Jesus ever got. We don't mean the time he fell and skinned his knee. We don't mean the time he ran into the corner of the house playing tag. We mean the scars, the five sacred wounds Jesus absorbed in his crucifixion, in his hands, and in his side. Now we probably... Wouldn't have necessarily thought that he would have kept his scars had the Gospels not made it explicit to us that when he received those, he kept those even when he rose again from the dead. So in the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus appears and he scares everybody, he says to the disciples, Look at my hands and feet, it's me, it's Jesus. And then, of course, in John's Gospel, you get a more elaborate scene because Thomas wasn't there when the disciples saw him, so the 10 saw him and they believed. And Thomas kind of throws down this ultimatum and says, unless I see him, unless I touch his scars, I'm not gonna believe that he rose again from the dead. And when Jesus appears, he doesn't say, hey, sorry, buddy, that was my old body and now I got a new body and I don't have anything for you. No, he says very graphically in John's gospel, Thomas, I want you to take your finger and I want you to put it right here in my wrist, you can feel in my new body where I was crucified. Now, this is a curious thought because God will remake all things on that great and glorious day. He will remake heaven. He will remake earth. It will be Eden 2.0. We will have glorious immortal bodies. There will be no sin, no death, no blemish, the only thing in the entire universe on that day that could seem out of place will be the scars on Jesus' body. Doesn't that surprise you? Isn't that... A little bit of a downer. I mean, we're in the new heavens and the new earth and everything is streets of gold and it's tree of life and it's this river flowing and we're enjoying good food with good people and then Jesus reaches to pass the wine and his sleeve comes up and you see a gnarly scar on his wrist and it just seems unsightly and out of place. Like I have this renewed body, but Jesus's renewed body isn't as renewed as my body. I had a friend growing up in D.C., one of my closest buddies, and sometime in my childhood this happened, but I noticed later as a young kid that his dad had this like awful burn mark on his face and down his arm and in his hands. He couldn't open his close his hands the same way. And you know, as a little kid, I mean I'm talking like six or seven, anything that's different is just weird and gross. And it was like it was kinda hard to see that scar and hard when he turned his face and you just kinda saw that uh, that on him and it, it didn't grow hair, he couldn't grow a beard there, and it just looked a different color and whenever he got mad at us, which was often it would like glow red. And it was just like to a little kid, it was just gross and off putting. And I remember at some point just asking him, dude, what, what's up with your dad's face? Like, did he stand too close to the grill or something? Like, where, where did that happen? And my friend said, no, I'll tell you the story. He was working at the front desk of a motel and he was working with a young woman and her ex-boyfriend came in, furious, with a cup of flammable liquid and went to throw it on her And he jumped in between them at about my age with two kids, one on the way. And he took that lighter on the full front of his body and he was burned with third degree burns and it changed him for the rest of his life. Do you understand how those scars changed in my estimation from that day forward? They went from gross to glorious They went from something unsightly to something I was proud to be around. I was proud to know that man. I was proud to be friends with his son. I was proud to be seen in public with them. And if anybody had a question about those scars, I was the first to answer it. Those were proud scars. I tell you this. The five scars Jesus chooses to wear in heaven forever are proud wounds on his body. They are badges of his glory. He will wear them proudly. They are nothing to be ashamed of. When we see him, he will appear as the lamb as though he has been slain. And all of us, when we see that, we will fall on our faces with these elders and say, worthy are you for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed a people for yourself. There is glory in those scars and we will see them. I want to give us three of maybe the many reasons that Jesus will choose to proudly wear those scars in heaven and why we will see them when he appears to us in glory. So let me close with just three reasons why he will do this. Number one, Jesus keeps his scars so that we might lose our doubts. Jesus keeps his scars so that we might lose our doubts. Now doubt is a terrible enemy. It's a terrible enemy enemy of the believer. It creeps into our lives in unsuspecting ways and it loves to prey on us, especially in this holiest of weeks. Somehow it's easier to believe that Jesus has conquered sin than it is to believe that Jesus has conquered death and that there's actually something after this life. We have believers here who are members of this church. We have friends and family who have come that are other places in their spiritual journey. If you as an unbeliever meet a believer who says they don't doubt or have doubts about life after death and the resurrection of Jesus, that believer is lying to your face. We wrestle, wrestle, wrestle with doubts. But Jesus knows that enemy of doubt all too well And he actually says there's a special grace for you and me today. Remember that scene with Thomas that is all too famous that Thomas gets to see and then believe and Jesus says to Thomas, for our sake, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believe. Now there are definitely days that I would trade with Thomas. I would take the faith with sight and lose the blessing that I would live today with the mysterious blessing and not be able to see. But we know that God is a sovereign God and in his providence, you are not among the disciples who saw him, and you are not among the women who got to the tomb first, and you who are seated here today were not among the 500 who got to see Jesus in his resurrected body, but he has placed you and I this far away from his resurrection and said to us, there is a special grace and blessing for you. You have the privilege of a saint to believe what you haven't seen based on, based on the word of God alone. And your reward is sweet because when you do see Jesus face to face, you will see him as the disciples saw him and oh, how sweet and glorious that reunion will be. Jesus keeps his scars to remove our doubts. Number two, Jesus keeps his scars that we will never graduate from the gospel. Jesus keeps his scars so that we will never graduate from the gospel. Man, I sure hope our new glorious bodies have longer attention spans, right? I could use that. I could use a six pack. I could use some hair, but I could use a longer attention span. Some of y'all are struggling to make it 25 minutes through this sermon. So what is going to happen when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, and we have a little Prez reunion, and we gather together for a picnic, is any one of us going to say, how did we get here? Like, what was that story that we used to tell? Was it a cross or a triangle or something to do with geometry? How is it that we are here today in glory? No! Oh, None of us will forget that because Jesus will wear those scars in heaven. We will see his wounds, celebrate his wounds. Praise him for his wounds. They will be a testament, an Ebenezer, a remembrance of the gospel. And though we tire in this life to thank God for his sacrifice on the cross, hallelujah, we will tire no more in heaven. We will praise him for those wounds. And no one will forget the glory of the cross. He will wear those wounds. We will not graduate from this gospel. But number three and finally, Jesus keeps his scars so that we can lose ours. Jesus keeps his scars so that we can lose ours. You got a lot of scars in a room this size. You got a lot of wounds here. And the deepest, darkest wounds in this room are the ones that nobody else can see. And we have wounds and scars from other people who have sinned against us. And we wear those scars in bitterness and resentment and vengefulness and even hatred towards our offender. And we bear scars on our body because we have sinned against others and we have sinned against God. And the message for the believer is, if you have sinned and found Christ, then he has delivered you from your sin. He's forgiven it. He's removed the penalty from it. But I can tell you all too well from experience that a forgiven believer who goes back again and again to the poisonous well of his sin does not leave unscathed in this life. I bear on my body the scars of my repeated besetting sins. And though I am forgiven, and though that penalty is removed, I walk through life with a limp. But Christian, I tell you this, by his stripes, we are healed. When we see Jesus on that day, one of us will be wearing scars, and it won't be me. When we see Jesus in glory we will experience a new side of the gospel that we've never experienced in this life. We've tasted forgiveness. We know something about God's forgiveness. We've tasted the removing of his penalty. We know something that though we deserve his wrath, we won't get his wrath, but we have never tasted this other majestic gift in the gospel that the scars we bear from my sin against another and another skin sin against me We have not tasted that that very wound and scar will be removed. We will stand in his presence in a glorious body without scars and we will praise the lamb as though slain. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come quickly come before we add more scars to ourselves and to others Come and deliver us from the presence of sin in this world and in our lives. Come and show yourself in your glorious body marked with your wounds that we can get on our faces and worship you fully for the first time in our lives without sin or guilt or shame or wounds because you, the Lamb, have conquered. Let us worship you in spirit and in truth. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.